0: welcome back, Lit and Lucid podcast fans. This is episode four now for Lit and Lucid. We are cruising through them. So um, today we are again recording live from the Ma High. I'm here with uh, Lucy Lit, here with uh, Kent the Grits Man, the Grits mocker, and uh, Aaron Perlman. Um, this episode is going to focus mainly on my boy Kent. Ken, it was with uh, Mack and Fulton Consulting and Recruiting Services. Um, he's also a uh, contributor and, and on the editorial advisory board for Maximum Yield and Hydrolife Life Magazine. Um, Aaron Perlman is the director of sales for Canabrand. We will feature Aaron and Canabrand in a later episode, but he's going to uh, to chime in here and provide some uh, some nice input later on. So, uh, the episode today mainly, Ken's going to talk about um, what Mack and Fulton does for the cannabis industry. They mainly focus on um, kind of horticulture side of the business with recruiting services, and uh, Maxim Yield and Hydro Life is totally you know focused on the horticulture side and more kind of scientifically based um, writing for that aspect. Um, And then later on, we'll dig in, and uh, Lucy and everybody will chime in on their experience with uh, you know editorials and magazine writing and why that's such an important aspect of the industry. So. Cool.
1: Well, yeah. we're excited to have you both here. Thank you so much for coming and recording our podcast.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having us.
1: Yes, for sure. All right, Kent. well, let's just get started. Why don't you explain to us a little bit more about your background?
2: Yeah, okay. Um, well, to say my background, I was living in Northern California for a number of years, a pretty recent transplant to the Denver area. Um, while in California, I was in graduate school studying humanities, and I was a cultivating at the same time and kind of... Started getting really into writing, and people say write about what you know. And I knew about you know growing cannabis, so with that I kind of moved forward into uh, contributing with uh, Maximum Yield and Hydro Life. And uh, Maximum Yield is probably the oldest, most established. Uh, it's called uh, Modern Gardening magazine right now. It really focuses on utilization of different technologies involved with the gardening process, whether it's indoor or outdoor. Um, and it you know touches on cannabis, but also urban ag vertical farming sort of stuff. And then Hydro Life is their other magazine that's cannabis specific, which has actually just got rebranded and the new name is going to be maximum yield the cannabis. So, um, with Hydro Life, I'm a little bit more involved on their editorial advisory board. Um, Hydro Life is located in Canada, up on Vancouver Island. So I've been kind of helping give them some market advice on what's going on in the States, Colorado specifically. And, um, with Mack and Fulton, I'm the co-founder and uh, we're a recruiting firm. Um, you know, looking at the industry as a whole, um, a lot of other recruiting agencies out there really focus on entry-level jobs with bud tenders and trimmers and things along those lines. While we're kind of going at this with the more, I guess, technical approach, um, focusing a lot on equipment side of the, of the industry, you know, ancillaries and so lighting and nutrient lines. and. Uh, Many more technical hires with like organic chemists, electrical engineers, things along those lines. And, um, also lots of qualified salespeople. So if you're a salesperson in hydroponics, look me up. <laughs> <laughs> where can I find you?
0: LinkedIn or where else are you guys at?
2: Yeah, we are, um, you know, on LinkedIn, we have a page, Mac and Fulton. And then, uh, you know, our website, if anyone remembers this, is www.mandfconsultants.com. And, um. We have a decent presence, you know, online as well with social media things like that. So, there you go. It's kind of a brief summary of what's been going on. Busy. That's
0: what it sounds like. A lot's been going on.
2: Yeah, I mean, in time, it's it's a cool thing to be a part of, because what my writing work has been kind of complementing the Mac and Fulton stuff with just making industry connections, but also getting our name out there. I think it. Recruiting is such a service-based you know, sort of business, and these clients really want to trust you, but also know that you know what you're talking about, and all that's pretty explicit on paper with, like, all the, you know,
0: articles that I put out there, so. So, I mean, what is your background in recruiting? Did you have anything before you formed Mac and Fulton, or was it just kind of like, hey, we see a need, let's go after that need?
2: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, you know, I didn't have a background formally in recruiting, and uh, actually one of my best friends um, back home in Wisconsin, where I'm from, had been doing Technical recruiting and engineering for well over a decade, and he was doing really well with it. And we, you know, I was involved in the in the cannabis space again in Northern California, and uh, we kind of decided to combine forces. So I think he's been real lending the kind of the real business sense as far as the actual brass tacks of recruiting is going on. While I've been doing more of the back end, you know, putting together a website, making connections in the industry. Um, you know, kind of doing whatever kind of grassroots marketing sort of stuff I can do, you know, so kind of trying to feed off each other's strong points and
0: weak points, but that's always a learning process. Isn't that... Mm Like any business, is pretty, I mean, there's books out there, but the best way to do it is just dive right in, figure it out as you go, and I yeah. think you guys are doing it right. I like grass. I like grassroots. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, we're bootstrapping it
2: along, you know, so it's not without its moments of panic, you know, But <laughs> so, do you alive. guys
1: represent employees or the employer, or how does it work? Well, It's or? a little bit of both. both. I
2: mean, generally speaking, you know, we'll we'll find a new client, and they'll have. It's generally pretty hard to fill a position; otherwise, they would just do it themselves, right? You know. So, um, you know, for example, one of our first hires was with Hydro Farm out in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, they're one of the oldest manufacturers of hydroponics equipment they've been around since, I think, late 70s. Well, they wanted, like, a, a lead quality control technician, and it was someone that could communicate well with customers, had uh, some formal education in, electric, in electrical Understood grow room design and could pass a UA, so that was no small uh, feat. <laughs> so, yeah, generally speaking, you know, they'll come to us with qualifications like that, and then we'll um, pretty much start digging and, and try and find a candidate that matches their profile. And, uh, you know, they'll come our way for various ways. I mean, we've got a decent online presence that candidates can kind of track us down, otherwise. You know, that also leads back to kind of the maximum yield stuff that that's been built, helping me build a network in the industry as well, Um, especially more in the equipment based product based stuff, which we're more used to. We do a lot of trade shows, yada, 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 talk to a lot of,
0: I don't know, salespeople or technical guys that are kind of ready to shift gears or something. Yeah. So. So what's the most difficult part of your job right now, or let's say difficult part of building the business? Um, I mean, there's a lot of facets if you're a
2: two man startup, you know, (laughs) um, what I've learned, you know, before this, like I said, I was working as a grower and I was in grad school and I could kind of, you know, walk to the beat of my own drum and I still am to an extent as a business owner, but I really have to depend on other people's actions and timeliness, et cetera, et cetera, in order for, you know, to close a deal. So really a lot of things have to align, you know, whether the candidate's position in life compared to what you know, what the, the client's looking at, you know, and someone's career projection, even their personality and all that. And yeah. occasionally we can be three or four months into a search and have somebody uh, pretty much getting an offer or get an offer and then something will fall apart last minute over some really weird, mm-hmm. nuanced thing in someone's personality. So yeah. it can get frustrating.
1: So I was just listening to a podcast yesterday, it's called Sh- uh, Shaping Fire, I think that's what it's called. And they were talking about how it's hard in the cannabis industry to get employees because you have both. You have people coming from the cannabis industry who's been in it when it was a black market, and now they're emerging into legalization. And then you also have people coming from corporate America, coming into cannabis, and they have that business and corporate background, but they don't really know much about cannabis. Yeah. So where are you kind of seeing... People coming from or their backgrounds?
2: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's a kind of a little bit of everything, you know. And we're, as far as hiring trends, I'm really seeing a pretty strong influence on geographies with that, you know. Um, California is still kind of halfway in the black market, or if not three quarters, you know. And, you know, with that, it was always nobody needed a license, nobody had W 2s or anything like that. And it was a lot of hiring and personal recommendations, and I think. The industry had adopted has adopted that right there right now. And um, you know, moving over to Colorado, I know we've talked to some companies here who when there was a medical industry before Rec, they had like a turnover rate of like almost hundred percent with oh, their hiring because it was a similar deal, kinda hiring guys that knew how to grow cannabis but didn't really know how to abide by a but nine to five like or, like or a whatever. Structured you job. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I mean here in Denver we're seeing more so than almost anywhere in the country, like a much more sophisticated approach to hiring and people looking outside of the industry. And it takes some creativity and some critical thinking to really figure out how someone's, uh, you know, outside experience might apply, which, you know, is actually one of my favorite parts of doing this is kind of figuring that out with, with candidates, you know. Um, and then looking at the East Coast, it's almost a lot of these, these businesses are gonna run like real deal I don't know pharmacy companies or medical companies and they want to see specific things on resumes and it's real structured real brass tacks so I think yeah I think right now timing and geography is kind of dictating different patterns in different areas and then I think California and a little bit more time is going to come back around and it's going to be they're going to be hiring more like Colorado especially once compliance Issues really start coming to light. Things really start getting in force and people start getting in trouble and losing money. <laughs> you know?
0: yeah. no, I see that. I mean, it looks like we the same way. Um, I mean, we're such geographically you know, isolated down there that even temp workers are hard to find. Let yeah. alone upper, upper level executive staff still hard to find. Um, there's still such a stigma against cannabis, too, that that makes finding people to take that step into cannabis hard. Um, there's you know, you have to worry about banking. You're getting your own personal banking out shut down from just getting a paycheck from a cannabis business. Mm-hmm. We've had multiple employees lose their bank accounts because of that. On top of that, the big one now is you're finding, you know, millennials like ourselves, or you know, a generation older than us are trying to settle down and get housing. Well there's a lot of lenders that will not lend money to cannabis industry industry individuals. So there's separate mm-hmm. lending companies that are coming coming out that are specifically focused on cannabis businesses. Um, on top of that, insurance. There's hardly any insurance for people that come in the industry. Um, I mean, there's so many aspects of just employment that's difficult within the cannabis industry that still has to change to make it more enticing, I guess, for higher level, more educated, sophisticated inv- individuals to come into it. Um, so I think there's still still a long ways to go with that for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. We have done a search. For
2: a Denver company here for a a compliance director, and we really went the full gamut with that one. We had your younger kind of cannabis professionals from the Denver area that had been at a dispensary here or there for a few years and had done compliance and kind of knew the the moving parts of the game kind of on a micro level, but they wanted somebody that was coming from, that had a law degree and was coming from like the medical field and like, you know, that had managed... A lot of people, and was used to dealing with government agencies and all that. Mm-hmm. So looking you know, outside of the industry, we were blindsiding a lot of people. <laughs> like, yeah. So you want to work in the weed industry? So there's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of different reactivity. Then and the guys knock on our door that are really antsy to get in. You know, so yeah, that's an interesting point. And I had no idea that that banks were closing down people's bank accounts for working at a you know, that's, that's nuts. Happened it, to me. Did it? wow yeah. I yeah. just went in there
0: to deposit my checks one day for expenses and they gave me a letter saying my bank account being closed down. They didn't say why, they said it referred to this, you know, stipulation in the rules, blah, blah, blah. Huh. Um, and I mean, it's happened to not only just business owners, but I mean, actual employees is what's kind of sad. Yeah. Um, and that's just all something you have to deal with. So mainly it's just plant touching companies. So even like at the you know director of sales, I do a lot of ordering for different supplies and stuff. The
2: mm-hmm.
0: first question I ask anybody that I deal with is, "Do you deal with cannabis companies?" Because even ordering T-shirts can be a challenge. That there's some companies that will not even accept money from our company because we deal with cannabis. Mainly because the same thing, if they go deposit a check from a cannabis mm-hmm. company, their bank could frown upon it. Um, and so there's you know there's so many loopholes and things you have to jump through, and there's so many extra you know red tape and restrictions and. Mm-hmm. So the cannabis industry that still need to come down. Yeah, and then to make it it's, easier.
2: I mean, sorry to interrupt, but then looking at that and how disparate the industry is too, and state by state, and like you know, for I talked a lot of candidates looking to get into the industry, and they want like a level of guidance. And you you can try, but I mean, every state's different. Almost every county's different, and everything's constantly changing. So I mean, it's like if you really want to make this a lifestyle, I mean,
0: you better get ready to make some changes, because oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, do you have any gener- generic advice for anybody, or is there? A direct yeah, I advice? mean, well, now that you mention it, and I
2: am in the nascent stage of putting together a book titled "How to Get a Job in the Cannabis Industry," <laughs> loosely something along those lines, and parts of the book would feature, I guess, state by state sort of uh, regulatory guidelines of what you need to work in the industry. Like Colorado, you need a level of a med badge and be able to pass criminal background check. Well, and Washington, there's no badge system, California, there's none yet, so these things are always, I guess, changing, you know. Um, Loose advice, I mean, I don't know, it's funny you mentioned that, because part of Mac and Fulton, we also do a resume writing program for people in the industry, and, you know, with that, we have, well, A, we have a lot of people come to us for advice on, what to do in the industry, so we kind of, or how to get a job in the industry, I guess. So we kind of designed this program for people um, that really want some hands-on, I guess, attention, you know, with that. But, uh, so I'm losing my, losing my
3: train of thought. <laughs> That's part so of So I have a question. Yeah. <laughs> a I answer. have a question for you, Kent. Yeah. You, uh, I noticed that some of the people, some of your clients, are looking for employees with uh, history in working in the cannabis industry. Are you having, is that something, like, how do you, I mean, that's tough when the industry is such a baby, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, then that is a struggle, you know, and um, I don't know. You, you do find the occasional candidate out there that has, like, you know, a bachelor's from UC Davis in horticulture and mm-hmm. a couple years growing at some place, and they're hard to find, you know. Um, so, I don't know. It's kind of unique to every, you know, to every client we have. Um, again, in the Denver area, we're seeing a lot more companies looking willing to look outside the industry Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know that makes sense sense. I think some flexibility there a little diversity is important yeah yeah absolutely you know and then to go back to that resumes program thing I'm thinking a little bit clearer that a big part of that is helping people explain what they've done outside the industry within the industry yeah Mm -hmm. and you actually like spell it out so it'll be you know um I don't know, you highlight competencies as opposed to work history, you know, so if you were doing insurance sales, well, you have sales experience, but you're also used to working in a regulated industry, you know, but Mm -hmm. for a hiring party in the industry to look at that and pull that out of there on their own, they might not even register, you know, so it's really taking a creative step and doing the thinking almost for like the hiring party and how this person might apply.
1: So to bring it back to kind of our podcast, where do you see millennials in all of this? Do you, Are a lot of candidates, you know, from the millennial age group? Are you looking for higher level executives that are the older age groups? Or are the millennials, you know, like this lower paid bud tender, this type of thing, trimmers, grower, like what exactly are you seeing?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's a, more room in this industry to established yourself at a higher rank professionally at like at millennial age and almost in anything, you know, there's like, at least looking around here in Denver, I've heard a number of CEOs that are still in their twenties, right. you know, and I think they don't have, maybe they don't have bad habits, or maybe they are open to new ideas. And that takes a lot of creativity to make in this industry, you know, I think for more C-level or executive guys, I mean, people coming over from like pharmaceutical or like another regulated industry that can be, give a support and structure to a startup and help them guide, help guide them through, I guess the growing pains of being in a crazy industry. There's a lot of value there. You know, I think it boils down to persistence and you know, your ability to
0: kind of communicate your strong points. So I would agree with that. I think the startup culture, I almost feel like the startup culture grew with millennials in a way. Um, and so now a cannabis industry is 100% a startup culture cause it's not like it was there before. Um, that you're finding a lot of millennials mainly based on the creativity. I think millennials are very creative. They don't have you know the stresses of kids or having to make a mortgage payment or anything like that. They're fresh out of college, ready to hit yep. the ground running. Mm-hmm. And so they got a lot of that energy to apply to a company or an idea. And that's where I see so many millennials flourishing in this industry because they have that energy, that passion, that drive to go chase after an idea. And why not, you're in the prime of your life you don't have to worry about going home taking care of kids or anything like that yet. Even if you do That's have kids, point. I mean, they yeah. still find a way to make it work.
3: Yeah.
2: I
0: think the fact
2: that, you know, millennials are so technologically savvy is mm. a huge yeah. boon right now, too. You know, even at my age, I mean, I'm 36, and I'm, you know, when I first started this company, I was like, oh, I have to figure out how to use AdWords. <laughs> you know, yeah. right now I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to buy on SEO rankings in yep. my company because there's only two of us and we don't have a ton of funding and this sort of thing you have to do on your own, you know? So. Being immersed in that culture, I think from even a younger age than where I'm at, is a real step in the right direction, especially as a young business owner, because you get torn in so many different directions and being able to solve problems quickly with computer software, whether it be
0: organizational to marketing, I think is pretty essential. You know? I agree. Yeah. So why don't we talk about more on maximum yield HydroLife and then kind of how, um, you know, Lucy's done some magazine writing as well. How does that fit in the industry? Why is it beneficial? where do you th- where do you think magazines are helping change the culture you know because I guess maximum yield was not a cannabis centric magazine that's why they formed Hydro Life yes that's right?
2: true yeah so I mean I think there's a lot of different facets of how magazines could be helping shape the culture right now in the industry I mean you got you know a, a huge influx in the past four or five years of like lifestyle publications in cannabis like uh, you know culture sensi, dope all of that you know um, you know all well, maximum yield on, the, on you know on their own they kind of started while well, there was no real legal industry you know mm-hmm. and so it was first it was indoor gardening and then they you know pivoted to modern gardening you know so it's still taboo at this point to have anything explicitly cannabis within a maximum yield publication but now it's going legal in canada nationwide so they're kind of scratching their head and trying to figure out a pivot you know and um You know, with Hydro Life, they kind of put that together as another, I guess, um, lifestyle magazine, you know. But, you know, bringing it over to Maximum Yield Cannabis, it's going to be more, uh, I guess, cultivation-focused, you know, with a little bit of of wellness in in there, you know. Um, So, I mean, as far as how they're shaping the culture, you know, I think, at least with Maximum Yield or Hydro Life, you could pick up a magazine. And if you were trying to figure out learn more about cultivation and you want a fairly reliable source and you didn't necessarily have many places to turn. I think that there's a good outlet right there, you know? And then, I don't know, like marijuana, uh, Venture Magazine is pretty solid with like, you know, business advice, especially if you're running a startup, you know, I mean, you could be digging through Google for an hours and hours trying to find tips on your job where all
0: these are, can kind of be one place, you know? I think what's cool too, when you, when I first met you, you, you kind of taught me about hydro life, and you explained it as more of like a scientifically focused yeah, magazine, it very yeah. Technical. Um, yeah technical writing so yeah. I think that was cool that it's not you know off the wall somebody just writing based off of just you know past experience by growing in a basement or something like that, oh, it yeah. was legit you know focused horticultural experience from yeah. real people doing it and kind of more analytics technical based stuff. No oh, big time yeah I mean especially with
2: Next yield. you know most of their advisory board these guys are Super science nerds, <laughs> you know, and they it, they break it down, you know, and I, I, it's, it's some helpful info. And it's beyond just cannabis, there's a lot in there about sustainability. I yeah, like wrote an article about desalinizing water and you know, things like that. And then, you know, a lot of different tips if you want to grow a small hydroponic organic vegetable garden at home in different ways and different tricks to do that. And it's a vibrant magazine, you know, they've got a good following and they've been on the shelves of most hydro shops in the States of Canada now for free for quite a while.
1: So cool. So this is semi-related. I'm not sure. What is your thoughts on live soil growing?
2: On live soil growing? Well, I mean, again, I'm no scientist. You know what I mean? I think it definitely has its benefits. I mean, I can, you know, as a grower, I always kind of nerd out more on the logistical side of things. And if you're going organic, you definitely don't have to haul the soil in right, right. So, yeah right. just reuse your soil yeah so Good. sustainably yeah absolutely you know uh, I think there's, there's a huge perk right there I think you have to be a little bit more developed in your understanding of fertilizers and nutrients and how they react with what you already have in the soil right you know. I think if you go with a you know some sort of substrate that doesn't have anything additives in it already it, you can follow the nutrient directions on a bottle a lot easier without running into hiccups if that makes sense
1: so are you seeing that more grows are turning to like these organic sustainable methods or we still have a lot of like chemicals and pesticides and fertilizers and things like that in the cannabis or i
2: mean just it swings both ways yeah. you know in california for years a lot of people just did what they felt kind of like doing and right. a lot of my <laughs> friends like were really into doing organic gardening you know but when you boil it down at the end of the day organic pounds selling more for none not so much. <laughs> no. I yeah. just had this
0: conversation earlier with a group, and she asked me to explain organic, and I said it's the most biggest misnomer in the entire industry is the word organic in the cannabis industry. For One, because you're not technically supposed to use the word organic because you know, organic it's is something cannabis. that's certified by the federal government. Right. federal government does not recognize cannabis as a legit, obviously, compound or even legal substance, so they're never until it's federally legalized going to recognize cannabis as being grown organically. On top of that, there's a lot of people who don't even understand what organic growing is. They yeah. think organic growing is pesticide free, and that's not the case. A lot of the fruits and veggies at your local supermarket, Whole Foods, Sprouts, any of those, are actually still used and cultivated with pesticides, they're just organic pesticides. Hmm. Um, and so, I mean, at Los Tuenios Farms, we don't use the word organic, it's taboo. We use the word natural, natural grown, grown outside in the you know, the actual you know sun. soil, <laughs> the sun, um, the native soil, the native terroir. Um, and that's something that I think is important that you use nature to just take its course and do its thing. Um, can we use the word organic? No. And some people are turned off by that, but like I said, you can't use the word organic legally. And like Kent said, are organic pounds selling more than non-organic? No. The consumer, the end consumer really does not understand it and doesn't really know.
2: Yeah, I think with that, I actually just did a piece for HydroLife in the last edition that got published about like, you know, the quote unquote the future of craft cannabis and whether or not it'll survive. And I think in certain scenarios, yeah, I think that's in time where this real deal kind of organic thing's gonna come into play where some guy can go get some brand that he knows and trusts and knows that it was grown in specific, you know, soil that was amended the same way over year to year to year, or something like that. And it could probably come in a higher price, you know, but right now I think everything's so in flux and everybody's just struggling for a foothold in the market that real deal consumer buying patterns aren't even really established yet, you know? And I think if you look at a place like California, how it matures like Sonoma County, yada yada yada, I think there'd be a lot more space there. For like organic craft cannabis brands in places like Sonoma, and when it's like part of the tourist culture, then they're gonna go smoke like fine outdoor grown right. cannabis. <laughs> right. You know, but that's part of the whole aura of the whole deal, you know. Well it's
1: You know, Pueblo, Colorado hasn't really sustained itself as, let Yeah, I don't think people in Pueblo are that worried
0: about (laughs) organic (laughs) cannabis. I think, um, I mean, I just had this conversation literally an hour ago. Um, Consumer preferences right now are based on price and potency in the recreational market. The medical market's a little bit different. Obviously, you know, they care about more terpene profiles and cannabinoids within it. Um, But the mainstream cannabis market right now is just 100% price and potency. What's the... Lowest price to highest potency I could buy. Um, organic is, is probably like tenth <laughs> on the list of what people are looking for. Right? Right? Nobody's yeah. turning over the box, looking at the ingredients, seeing what it's cultivated with, unless it's an edible and they're gluten free or something, or they have you know a egg allergy or something. Um, so I do think you know, like you said, it's going to be a little niche, but that's all it's ever going to remain. I think it's just a little niche market, just yeah. craft organic cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, Growing going forward. What's going to dictate, you know, going back to talking about soils is the cost effectiveness and the efficiency of growing. So um, I think that's going to come down to the yields of the plant or plants yielding more in an organic or a yeah. living soil than a, you know, a hydroponic system or any other, you know, like a pro mix soil or something, something that's pre-made for a canvas plant. Um, and that's what's going to dictate, you know, what's keen going forward is just cost efficiency and yields. Yeah, it
2: makes
3: a lot of
0: sense. Yeah. I think it's important.
3: It is definitely important. Yeah. What do you think? Aaron? <laughs> uh, I think that, I think Kent's right. I think this craft, you know, cannabis growing, I think there's a niche for it. Um, but I agree. I think the general public, like you said, it's, it's not really opinion. It's a fact, right? They're going after price and potency. Uh, people see, it's like they seeing is believing. They see the quality They kind of go with it. Um, I hate to compare the alcohol uh, to cannabis, but I mean a lot of people do the same, right? They, they're going for potency and, and quality, they're not worried about you know the price too much. And I think there's always a craft, though, there's always going to be the connoisseur who's really deeply concerned about oh, what's in their yeah. plant, mm-hmm. yeah. his day and age. We're always concerned about what we're putting in our bodies food, cannabis, and so forth, Right. so I think there's a big interest in, you know, I think there's always going to be an interest in that.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, back to what Jared said really earlier about it maybe being a bit more applicable in applying to, you know, medical cannabis as opposed to recreational, because then you're really trying to pinpoint... How a flower is going to help with a specific symptom, you know, and then it goes into more consistency and cultivation practices and accurate labeling, you know, all all the way around, you know. know, No, consistency is huge. I mean, there's
0: (laughs) so there's medical patients that were specifically seek out a certain strain, and what's cool about their industry now, and I guess our generation, is people will go self educate, they'll go look online, look at Leafly. Um, find out, you know, okay, what are my modalities I need to fix, okay, mm-hmm. what strains will fix those modalities, and then they'll go s- seek out a specific strain, um, say like, you know, Girl Scout cookie or something, because it's a, you know, it's a hybrid, it helps kind of with both the, they want to sleep, and they wanna, also want like a little bit of appetite or something, mm-hmm. um, so it comes down to the grower being able to grow that strain very consistently, make sure it's Girl Scout cookies for one, make sure it expresses the potency and the cannabinoids and terpenes that it needs to, because all the cannabinoids and terpenes play a huge role together synergistically to the effect you get from the cannabis. So I think, you know, but that's, you know, very, you know, narrow market as well, medical right. for sure. Um, but you're always going to have that need for the medical focused. Absolutely, I think there's a huge trend towards concentrates, which at that concentrated stage, you can, you know, much easier dictate what's in that concentrate, whether it's a vape pen or an edible or a pill or a tincture, a topical, and I think that makes it easier, and I think that's where the industry is going to go in the future, is more concentrates, because it's easier to uh, to control and, and manage.
3: I do know with the concentrates, not so much with the flour, I agree, where you have uh, consumers not so much looking to see what's in the flour, they don't flip the bottle over and see what the ingredients are, but I do recognize that... In the concentrated world, people do ask, you know, how is it produced? Does it use ethanol, butane, yep. CO two? And that seems to be uh, a big interest for people to kind of stay away from certain things. And so I've noticed people definitely are interested. Absolutely, in
0: people right. are. A lot of people are scared of butane. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Everything's tested, so everything's butane, good. Butane, that's all. What's up, Ken? Oh yes, sorry for interrupting. Ken has a question. Ken um, <laughs> follow the rules. Let's <laughs> bring it back to
2: you know your question about how magazines or publications are shaping the industry. I think with the rise of, you know, dispensaries and these, these options on the shelf for different strains, a lot of people turning to like a leaf leaf or a culture or something to get info on, on psycho, you know, psycho or whatever some effects of, of the, you know, specific, you know, flower or concentrate or whatever. I think that's why we've seen a lot of success here with these more lifestyle-based publications because they're really, consumers are curious, like, what I can get to make me feel a certain way. whether or not that's always accurate. (laughs) Well, that's kind of what I've been seeing.
1: Um, So I write for this Emerald Magazine out of California, their small lifestyle um, publication. But that's what I've been emphasizing is like educating the consumer. I Mm -hmm. think the consumers just really don't know a lot about cannabis. It's a brand new industry. There's so many questions they should be asking their bud tenders. And then it also goes back to kind of employment, like how educated is your bud tender to be providing this kind of information on all these different products in the dispensary to the consumer. And how comfortable is your consumer with asking the bud tender these types of questions? So it's both sides of it. And I think that you're right. These publications and like online, those kind of resources are good for the consumer because it'll kind of give them that information before they do go into the dispensary. And they do have some sort of, you know, baseline education on what they're looking at.
2: Yeah, I actually did a piece for Hydro Life about like dispensary etiquette, you know, and it was mainly for people's first visit, because like, you've never been. You don't know. No, it's going to be kind of weird. It's stressful, kind of. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I was stressed out. Was yeah, I was stressed out. What do I
0: need? i running down my head. I'm going some kind of list. Or, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and people bug out. Yeah. <laughs> out. But
1: it's important, and you know, without information like that,
0: they don't know. Yeah. I was frightened my first time, to be totally honest with you there's like a big line is it's intimidating there's so many products I don't want to feel like an idiot um, because I feel like everybody in there was just like well educated and after a while you go in there and you're like who cares you know they're there to help you yeah good tenders are there to help you and they recognize that that, hey this person may not be that educated it is my job and my duty to educate this individual and then give them something they want Um, and so I think the best companies out there do do that they have whole training courses for their butt tenders before they even take a step on the floor Um, and I think it's not even that. Or companies have to educate the butt tenders. There's bud tenders that that's their passion. That's their yeah. fire. They want to go and they want to help people. Um, it's no different than somebody being a doctor or, or something like that. Like these bud tenders take their job seriously, and I don't know. It's great.
2: Yeah, it would be nice. You know, I think lack of bud tender education. You know, not entirely to be blamed on prohibition, but I think just. Again, every state having their own regulatory sort of systems, I mean, to really certify anyone properly and and explaining, especially medicine, you know, is something that to yearn for, you know, but who knows?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Well, and there's a lot of high turnover, too, for butt tenders. It's like, what is the cost of these companies to educate and train these employees when you don't even know how long they're going to be there for? That is true. Issue. Yeah,
3: absolutely. The bud tenders. I notice it's kind of a stepping stone position for people wanting to move forward right. into the industry, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, how do I get a position? Well, start, start with a bud start tender. Start with a bud tender. Yeah. They yeah. get educated, which is good. You know, they get educated. They learn how the system works. They learn how the industry works, and so then they can kind of move up, kind of the mailroom position. You start low, yeah. move through a company. And
0: so. Yeah. I like that you brought that up because that kind of tailors right along with this whole conversation for today. Um, yeah that's one, one of the biggest things I see in the industry is that it's so new. People see this money pouring out and they're like, oh my God, I'm going to get a well-paying job in the cannabis industry. Um, just step right into it. It's, that has not happened. Mm-hmm. Even myself, I came out of college, was making more money working part-time jobs in college than I did my very first job in the cannabis industry. Um, and on top of that, you know, I started at Los Sueños Farms and have grown throughout you know, the past two years with them. But I was out in the field pulling leaves off a plant when I first started there. And I'm sitting there baking in the hot sun, sitting on a bucket, only my plant. I had a fresh yes. out of college bachelor's degree yes. and I'm like my parents must absolutely hate me right now. That I decided to jump in the cannabis industry and I got you know, it's a decent paying job, but it was nothing like, you know, you thought nothing it was gonna be you. no, it was no, you know, hard work. Yeah. It's, it is it's hard, hard work. work, you know, I'm out there breaking yeah. a sweat and farming is hard um, for you. But I stuck it out. That's the main thing. I stuck it out. The management, the owners, they seen my potential, they see me, you know, busting my ass every day, working hard. And they slowly just let me move up and have opportunities to where I'm at now. I'm a director of sales and have a, get paid well now, but it took me two years to get there.
1: But I think that that's an important point because I have found that in the industry that once you kind of get that entry level position, once you start showing these companies your skill set and some other things that you can offer, I think they're much more receptive to that. I don't think that the position that you got hired in is is going to have to be your position in two, three years. Like you have so much no, growth no, no, potential no. through these companies.
0: Well, that's a startup culture. Yeah. 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 And I think it's in any startup culture that, you know, if you contribute and you're a game player, you're there every day working your 8 to 5 or 9 to 5. Yeah. Um, you're not getting high on the job. You're taking it seriously. There's so many opportunities out there for you. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think with it being a startup culture and it being new, you can actually move up faster than probably more structured environments yeah. anywhere else. Yeah, the opportunities there yeah. for sure. Yeah, because yeah. it fluctuates so <laughs> fast and people move. and. What well, we've seen... At least around the Denver area because I think that you know just
2: because you guys want everyone went, the state went rec first here so it's been this kind of more developed industry for a while it's really high turnover rates in the industry you know especially on more of the entry level front and to be honest as recruiters I'd rather see somebody who had been at one job for five years straight than somebody who's worked at five dispensaries in the past five years right. you know so I think anyone's definitely. look at it that way so it's, 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 it's important yeah and it's great that you understand the, the business of the dispensary but I mean when you're really boiling down to hiring someone that's going to go beyond that. you know. So. Well, I
0: think you know, that's something that Lucy touched on too that companies, when they're looking for an employee, they don't want to have to train somebody and have them leave after two weeks because it costs a lot of money to train an employee. Yeah. They want somebody who's going to be dedicated and going to be there long term to where they train them once. They're not even train them once, but they're willing to put that time and effort and the money to train them and get them to a certain position and not have to keep, you know, having to train and train and train and just spin their wheels. Oh, yeah. So I think that's totally true and you have to be dedicated to the end result to uh, have people be dedicated to you
2: yeah that's great that's a good i should remember that one for we can't can. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: right so, well, what do you think
0: i like it you know it's a very productive podcast with uh, the grits man and then um Aaron, thank you for contributing thank your you. parts. Thank I you look for forward me. to, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get Cannabrand on board. You want to touch a little bit, a little preview on Cannabrand? Yeah, so
3: Cannabrand, um, we're a marketing ad agency, solely focused on the cannabis um, industry. Uh, our uh, CEO, Olivia Mannix, brought to market about five years ago. We were first to market in the industry, for so we're marketing. Uh, we've worked with companies, uh, dispensaries, ancillary products, Web, you know, web companies. So we work from A to Z with cannabis companies. Um, Shore to shore, we've done stuff in Canada. We're working with a couple clients in Israel right now. Mm -hmm. I spoke to a client the other day from Brazil. So it's really kind of branching out from the United States. We kind of like, we're the charge on that for the cannabis industry, but everybody kind of wants to be a player. Uh, But yeah, we work with digital marketing, uh, PR, uh, with a copyright group wonderful creative team and so we'll speak about that moving forward uh, about
0: Canabrand. cool yeah no, that's exciting um, so definitely uh, stay tuned for that catch Aaron and Canabrand and the whole crew here soon um, Kent I want to thank you for your time your energy your knowledge your passion all that thank and you. I, uh, I look forward to continue watching you guys grow watch Mac and Fulton grow and see what happens with uh, all your other adventures appreciate
1: that alright well I'm lit I'm lucid And this is episode four of our podcast. Thank you for listening. We're available on iTunes, Anchor, and SoundCloud.
0: See y'all soon.